The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Welcome you all to today's discussion. Uh, as uh, Chinta already ex uh, in introduced me, I'm uh, Bhante Pasadika. Uh, so I'm going to start today's session. I think uh, this is my third session, the fourth, third, right? Third session. This is my third session. So uh, in these discussions, we were discussing about meditation and how to develop meditation into a better level. Uh, based on the Buddhist uh, knowledge, especially uh, we took reference from different places of Buddhist text and we explained about different uh, meditation skills and uh, related subjects. So today I'm going to explain about an interesting subject about how, how the meditation environment should be. This is very important. If you look into Satipatthana Sutta, I think it's very easy these days. Satipatthana Sutta have a lot of uh, translations and it's available in English as well. A lot of discussions about Maha Satipatthana Sutta. I think that is one of the most popular Sutta discussion, uh, Sutta Deshana in uh, discourse in Buddhist uh, teaching system. So if you look into uh, internet, you can see a lot of different uh, translations. So uh, Satipatthana Sutta explains about the Buddhist meditation environment in the beginning. The first meditation technique explained under Satipatthana Sutta is breathing meditation technique, Anapanasati. So the breathing technique explained about how to maintain your concentration based on the breath and how you should focus inhalation and exhalation and how you should maintain your focus there. In the explanation, Lord Buddha explained about very important matter, that is to find a proper environment. In Pali, we use the word Aranyogatova, Rukkamologatova, Sunyagaragatova. Those are Pali words. Those days, people believed, this is, again, I had explained this. Uh, Lord Buddha is explaining this in 6th century BC mm, to the understanding of the people who lived there, mm, those days. So there were no soundproof rooms available those days. Mm. Maybe there, there are, but not that popular. So he did not add all these details into that. He just tried to generalize how the meditation environment should be. I'll explain that, then you'll see it's, he was just asking or looking for a quiet and empty place. First, Aranyagatova, a forest. These days we use the word Aranya to a center, like as meditation center, Damso meditation center, we call it Aranya. That's in a way grammatically wrong because we live in a city. It's a corner block, just I think 600, 700 square meters. That thing is not an Aranya. It's just the name, the Aranya, or the word Aranya is used for a monastery or for a meditation center these days. But actually, those days, Aranya mean real forest monastery, something like Newbury. Hmm? So it's real forest. Hmm? Like monks live totally away from the society. They don't uh, associate 
uh, worldly life. And uh, there was a name for monastery or meditation center like this, or like our place in Bandura. They call it Arama. Arama means a place where near to the city, people can visit and can, can visit monks and can, can get advice from the monks and can meditate there. So like a meditation center. So Aranya means forest. Can be a monastery, can be just forest. So first preference of Lord Buddha to find a proper meditation environment is to go to forest. So don't hurry, be, be hurry and run to the forest now because still there are a few options available. And luckily back then, I think in India, uh, deadly snakes were not that popular like in Australia. So here if you go to forest, you may have to carry all these uh, snake repellents and everything uh, to be uh, safe from them. So first explanation, first preference he gave was to find a quiet place like forest. Actually, there's a big meaning behind that. You can see when you go to forest, when you go to a place where you don't have any other human activities, with the trees and with empty space, it's totally different vibe. It's totally different environment. Just going to such a place can calm yourself down. Just staying in such a place, you don't need meditation techniques. You just can go to the forest and just sit there. The environment itself can heal you. In my environment, environment itself can have can provide a lot of energy to develop that peaceful mental factors in your mind. That doesn't mean that each and every individual who live in the forest are uh, uh, individuals with high level of meditation. That doesn't mean that if you just go to the forest and sit there that you will reach Nibbana. No. I mean, there's a little support there. That doesn't mean that. Just like if, if there's a place that gives you free food, you can just go there and get the food and then you can get the benefit. That doesn't mean that and all the problems that you have, all the health conditions, health issues that you have will recover by that food. It's just one fact only. So if you go to forest, there is a possibility, if you are a person who really want to concentrate, really want to change your mind, develop your mind, settle your mind down, forest is one of the best places for you to settle down yourself. So he said that if you want to meditate, yeah, you can find forest-like environment. A quiet environment, environment where they don't have much activities. Rukkamulagatova, sit under a tree. That also doesn't mean that you can just sit in your backyard. Sit under a tree means those days people uh, did not live like us. Those housing style and the way they lived, lifestyle is totally different. They mean Rukkamulagatova, it's a place a little bit away from your house, or place a little bit away from the village, but not really the forest. It can be somewhere empty, can be in front of a lake, can be in front of, uh, uh, can be in the beach, or can be in like a mountain area, or somewhere that you feel relaxed. I think in Buddhism, meditation and trees, there's a huge connection between environment and meditation. Each and every Buddha have enlightened under Bodhi trees, huh? different Bodhi trees, not, not the same type of Bodhi tree. And most of the monks meditated under trees. Some of them actually lived under trees. There's a special uh, uh, practice called uh, Rukkamulikanga that monks, uh, there were type of monks back then, still there are some practicing there, I think uh, we call it Dutanga. The practice is difficult. It's, if, a, if a monk determined to live under a tree, he lived under a tree for a month or two or a year 
without using any shelter. So there were monks back then who lived like that. There are a lot of stories about monks who lived under trees and they didn't use any shelter during that time. It's kind of a practice. It's still some monks practice that actually. So, Rukhamulagato uh, mean that you go to a place, not really a deep forest, not really a place that's so far away from civilization. It's a place that maybe a park, a public park, where you don't have much disturbances, a quiet place, a calm place, something like that. And the third one is Sunya Garagatwa. This we can apply to modern society because now you don't have to look about look for trees or forests. Sunyagara, empty place. So this meditation hall can consider as a sunyagara because sunyagara means a specially prepared place for a meditation. So your room, your bedroom can be a sunyagara if you remove all the unnecessary things and make it more simple. And if you go to somewhere and if you feel relaxed and if you feel like meditating, if you feel like this is a place that is empty and I don't have much more disturbances there, can feel like meditating there, that's Sunyagara, empty place. So any place that you feel suitable, that you feel relaxed, that you feel easy to meditate, can consider as an empty place or Sunyagara. So I would like to say the, uh, translate the word Sunyagara because Sunya is emptiness. Sunyagara means empty house. I'd like to translate that as a suitable place. So suitable and calm and settled place that you don't have much disturbances there, that you are comfortable to meditate. So, so firstly, he explained, so simply for a meditator, it's important to find a proper place to meditate. So in the present day conditions, now we are already used to a lot of things, sounds. As an example, we live in the modern world. Now we are used to sounds that sometimes extreme quietness can distract us. I have seen that happen with some of the meditators. When they go to forest, they feel a little depressed by that. There's no sounds around. Because we are not used to that much of quietness now. The quietness can be a little bit difficult for us to tolerate. So sometimes, some meditators have explained to me that they feel much more relaxed in the train to meditate because now they have traveled up and down for a long time. So the, the noise is not that much of a big problem for them. So they can meditate in the train. If that's so, that's your empty space. If that's so, that's your suitable space. So you can find a place which is really suitable and helps you and provide all the preliminary conditions for you to meditate. It include weather condition, mm, uh, all other different factors, noise, mm, comfortable sitting place, everything. And then how you should maintain your body posture, mm, also there. In the same stanza, if you read, just two or three stanzas there. First stanza say that find a place. Second stanza, sit properly. This is very important. Uh, in the Pali, he explained Nisidati pallankang abujitva. Pallankang mean something like this. Full lotus, half lotus, or a place that you, uh, posture that you sit properly. That can help you to maintain a straight back. Ujungkaya mean straight back. So 
in the Satipa, these informations are not created by me. Each and every word, that's why I'm using the Pali words as references, it's there in the Satipatthana Sutta. And Lord Buddha is the one who explained that, yes, go to an empty place or a suitable place and sit properly and then maintain a straight back. So straight back doesn't mean that like you sit straight like in the military. Not like that. That can add additional pressure to your diaphragm and it'll be difficult for you to breathe in and out relaxedly. Also doesn't mean that you, know, you hunch your back like that and then you sit in the meditation. Also not really a proper. So the proper sitting posture would be a posture that you don't really feel any pressure in the abdominal area or in the back, that you are relaxed and at the same time you are straight. So not overly straight, not overly hunch or not overly bend, just comfortable posture. So based on your body, based on your physical ability, your stability would decide uh, your own conditions. So don't, like, if someone else in your meditation hall, if someone else is meditating very well and maintaining a very straight back, that doesn't mean that that person is meditating well. So don't try to copy and be like that. Try to find out what is the easiest posture for you. So maintain that straight back. And so mainly... Uh, this part, okay, now I'm adding something from my own experience. This is not from the text. Huh? Lord Buddha will explain only uh, cross-leg posture and the straight back. I think it's because if you don't sit properly, you will add additional pressure to your uh, diaphragm. That will be difficult for you. If that's so, it's difficult for you for you to breathe in and out in a relaxed way because you're adding extra pressure there. So you will breathe with a little bit of force, breathe out a little bit of force. So to reduce that, of course, we can't reduce, we can't zeroize that. We can minimize that pressure. We can minimize that and relax. So to breathe in and out in a relaxed way, then he, have intro, he may have introduced this, to breathe in and out in a relaxed way. So you have a relaxed back and relaxed uh, diaphragm so you can breathe in and out peacefully. So these are the, the preconditions to meditate. Mm -hmm. Find a suitable place, sit properly. Only two, that's it. Third condition is mental. Mm -hmm. The first, I actually, again, Lord Buddha did not divide these into three groups, but when I teach, I divide into three groups. External factors, physical factors, and mental factors. So external factor is the place you meditate, mm -hmm. The environment. So you have to find a proper environment. If there's a problem in your meditation, you have to investigate whether there's a problem, if there's a problem in my environment. Does the environment cause this issue for me? Number two, your posture, physical ability. Whether this problem that I'm experiencing right now is because of my physical ability. It's because if I have a body pain, whether I can't maintain a straight back or something. So you investigate yourself with the second condition. Third condition is the most difficult one, the mental factors. Actually, Lord Buddha, even though I use the word factors, is only one fact, sati, mindfulness. He say, parimukang satingu patapetta, just focus, be mindful about your breath. That's it. So it's easy to say. You can try to be mindful throughout the day. You'll understand how difficult this is. It's really difficult to maintain mindfulness throughout the day. That's what we are trying to do for years now. Mm -hmm. So meditators, monks, 
most of the practitioners, we all try to maintain the mindfulness throughout the day. It's really difficult task. It's not an easy task, but doable. Difficult, not impossible. So, ujung kayang panidae paribokang satingopatapeta, which means you focus and maintain your mindfulness. Now, from there onwards, technique. Now you have three conditions finding an environment, finding a proper physical environment or physical structure, body, posture, and then be mindful. That's it. Those are the preliminary conditions. And then each and everything after that explained are techniques. First technique is breathing meditation. So he said, So you breathe in with mindfulness, breathe out with mindfulness. So you maintain mindfulness to breathe. And then you maintain your mindfulness to other meditation techniques. So whatever technique you meditate, whatever technique you use, doesn't matter. This information that we provide in the sutta, in the Satipatthana Sutta, first chapter, is very important for us because the chapter, this exp- information explained that this is how you should maintain your meditation environment before you meditate. And after that, we can add more and more, more and more detail and information as we learn, of course. So meditation is something like a, your own software and you write your own upgrades. So you decide after that how to develop that, what are the most important conditions for you to develop, what are your weaknesses and how you should correct them. That's up to you. A teacher can show you and guide you through the uh, preliminary conditions and can give you some techniques. And then you have to recognize, okay, my problem is anger or my problem is attachment. My problem is delusion. So I have all these three, something like that. Then if you have all of them, then you have to find out what is the biggest issue for you. Then you can control it or cut it down by using a technique. As an example, if you get angry, you use metta meditation or loving kindness, settle it down. If you have unnecessary attachment, if you are too attached to things, you can use asuba meditation and settle it down. If you have a huge amount of deletion in your, in your mind, if you are deleted about matters and if you understand that, then you understand, okay, my mind is diluted, so I should use meditation, vipassana techniques like uh, impermanence. So you use techniques and then settle yourself down. And then you apply new meditation techniques and you try, try them out and then you slowly develop so the rest of the things belong to the technique and to the person. And also, now we come to the other side of the story. And there's another information or another example in Buddhist uh, text available totally against that. That's more interesting. Gameva yadivaranye nimneva yadivatale. Doesn't matter how hard is the environment, doesn't matter how hard is the conditions. Now, he explained, this is how you should develop conditions. These are the comfortable places to live. These are the comfortable places to meditate. These are the comfortable postures to meditate. And then, Lord Buddha explained, doesn't matter how difficult is the meditation environment, doesn't matter how difficult is your posture, doesn't matter how painful uh, your situation is, it's your mind, it's your uh, understanding that can lead you or guide you through the meditation. That's a wonderful example for that, actually. 
example or the story is about Sariputta Bhante and his family. Mm. I think almost all of them here have heard about Venerable Arhant Sariputta, right? Please raise your hand if you have never heard about Sariputta Bhante. I'm happy to explain because, uh, yes. Sariputta Bhante, have you ever seen two statues next to Lord Buddha? Have you ever seen when you go to a temple sometime, two different statues next to Buddha? One statue is a little bit blue color, one statue is normal uh, color. Have you seen that before? Mm. Have you seen that before as well? No. So there are some temples you can see. Maybe in Melbourne also there are some temples you can go and see sometime. Uh, there are two monks uh, next to Lord Buddha. Mm. You can see one, one bante is, uh, one statue is blue color, one statue is like normal color. Uh, some, some, some paint is the little bit like him, our skin color. So that is Sariputta Bhante and Moggallana Bhante. Those are the chief disciples of Lord Buddha. When Lord Buddha reached the enlightenment, the first five monks, he ordained five monks. We call them Panchavagya. Those are the five monks. Those monks were sages before. When Lord Buddha was a sage, those monks supported Lord Buddha. They attend to him. So as a gratitude, Lord Buddha found them and teach them Dhamma for the first time. So they were the first monk in the Buddhist history. Among them, Kondanjabhante was the first monk. And then all five of them. And then after that, people start uh, receiving the ordination. And then slowly Buddhist... Uh, uh, dispensation became more and more uh, bigger. And then Lord Buddha wanted to find a system to uh, manage the entire Buddhist dispensation. He wanted to find out teaching system. So he appointed 80 different teachers. We call them uh, Mahasavaka. There are 80 of them. So it's like 80 uh, teachers who are responsible for specific duty or responsible for specific teaching. Some of them were in charge or the, the, the superior of uh, psychic abilities. Some of them were in charge of Dhamma talks. Some of them in charge of uh, wisdom, like that. So in the Buddhism, most important two subjects are concentration and wisdom, Samatha Vipassana. So in the concentration section or the psychic ability section or the uh, concentrating your mind, that subject was belonged to uh, or in charge of the subject belong, was Venerable Moggallana Bhante. And the wisdom, Panya, or the Vipassana section was uh, in charge by, or Lord Buddha appointed them actually as uh, Sariputta Bhante. And they were the chief disciple of Lord Buddha. And then rest of them, 78 other monks had different duties or different uh, in charge ships. So what happened with uh, Sariputta Bhante, he's actually, both of them, Sariputta Bhante and Moggallana Bhante, both of them are from very wealthy families. They were friends when they were young. They were called Upatis and Kolita, they were friends. And then they went to uh, a monastery to meditate. So they, they were in search of a proper meditation teacher. They found Lord Buddha and they became monks. They practiced very well and they reached the enlightenment. That's a simple introduction of Venerable Sariputta Bhante and Moggallana Bhante. In the future, if you have time, you can read about them, or if you have time, we can discuss about Venerable Sariputta Bhante and Moggallana Bhante. Their characters are amazing. 
their work, their knowledge, their ability were like really, really mesmerizing. The way the things that have they have done. Mm. Uh, according to the text, Sariputta Bhante's wisdom was only second to Lord Buddha. His knowledge and wisdom and ability was only second to Lord Buddha. Moggallada Bhante's psychic ability and the concentration power and ability was only second to Lord Buddha. So they were like among the monks. Mm, they had they they were the one who had the highest level of wisdom and highest level of concentration ability. So the monk who had the highest level of wisdom was Sariputta Bhante. So Sariputta Bhante had uh, three brothers and three sisters, and his mother and father was not happy about his decision. Mm. As I think almost all of our mothers and fathers, if you talk to the monks in you know, in our monasteries and here, parents are not that happy if their sons decide to become monks. Even though parents believe in Buddhism, even though parents practice pathway, if their kids want to become, it's like intermediate. You know, it's I think most of the non-Buddhist background uh, practitioners don't understand this. But if you are from a Buddhist background, Buddhist parents want their kids to practice. Buddhism, not up to the extreme level to become a monk. The extreme word is from them, not from me. I think that is the proper level. They want their kids to practice, but not to the perfect level. They want their kids to practice. They don't want their kids to not to listen to Dhamma talks and to stay away from the Dhamma. Also not. So if the kids are not interested in Dhamma, if the kids are not listening to dhamma, dhamma, if they don't meditate, if they don't practice, also parents are not happy. If they do that more often, also they are not happy. So that's the problem. They want to tune it down. So if the kids are practicing more, if they're interested in reading sutta and meditation, then the parents try to cut it down. I have a lot of students like that. They come to me and they meditate with me and practice, and then after a year or two, they say, "But it looks like the monk life is nice. Feels like that." That's the last time I see that kid. <laughs> so after that, the kid disappeared. So that's a joke. <laughs> it's not real. So parents try to settle it down. Parents try to try to say that okay, yeah, you can practice meditation. You can go to the bante and you can listen to dhamma. You not necessarily. You don't have to become a monk. You can just marry and uh, meditate, and you can have a normal life. That's the that's the perspective or the ideology of the parents because parents like the parents' idea of success. Is not your son becoming a monk and live in the forest in the kuti and close your eyes and meditate all the time? That's not what they want from their kids. They want them to marry and have grandkids and play with them and do duty and all these things. So that's that's okay. That's a that's a human uh, desire. I'm not against that. That's of course that comes with love and also the influence in society. That's what we have recognized as success. So it's okay. That's that's what they think. Even my parents thought like that. That's okay. That's their. It's not something evil. It's the love of them. It's their understanding. It, 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 they think that that's the best for their kid. That's why they do that. So what happened with Sariputta Bhante and Moggallana Bhante? Same. Their parents were not happy about the decision. Okay. So at least one son is gone. We have three sons and three daughters here. Sariputta Bhante was. Hmm, the monk who had the highest wisdom, so he would definitely use that. No, so slowly he tried to teach Dhamma to his parents and to brothers and sisters. What happened? One by one, one by one, start leaving the house and become monks. So, out of three sisters, 
all of them became nuns. And they start practicing. Not only that, they all reached the arahantaship. They were like, they had really high level of wisdom. That's the reason that Sariputta Bhante, otherwise he didn't want to destroy their life or uh, disturb their life. He wanted to help them. He knew that they had high level of wisdom. Hmm? So that's why sometimes when we practice, we can see some people. This is a very serious fact that I also have seen it with some students. They really have the ability to develop their mind. And also I can see that they're not really happy as a lay person. They, ha- they are more happy as a meditator. They're more happy as a monk. Hmm? The, the spiritual development make them more happy than a worldly life. So if I recognize someone like that, I would definitely encourage that person. Because that I see that person enjoy more in the meditation. I see that person enjoy more in the practice. And there are some students who like to meditate, but they enjoy both. Their strength or their ability, their wisdom is not that not up to that level. That doesn't mean that each and every lay person who spend a lay life have low wisdom. No. It means that the specific level of wisdom and specific level of practice is required to become a dedicated meditator, a dedicated person to this pathway. And if we can see that, it's not that visible, like we are not, we are not like 100% sure about it, but by the behaviors, by their ideas, by their wishes, if they say, this is the life that I want, of course, I would definitely support them. So the same thing, Sariputta Bhante have much, much, much more higher wisdom than me. So he recognized his brothers had very good level of wisdom. Their understanding was really good. Their understanding about the life, understanding about the pathway, about their mind was really strong. So he decided, this is the time for me to help them. So he started talking to them one by one when they visit him. So youngest one was called Revata. He was only seven years old by that time. Maybe by the time he became a monk, he was maybe two, three years old. Slowly, slowly, year by year, he slowly uh, advised his brothers and sisters. So three sisters, all three sisters became nuns. And there were three brothers. And one by one, two brothers became monks now. Now the parents have only one son. Out of the seven uh, kids, four sons and three daughters, six of them ordained. Youngest one is only seven years old, a young monk, young 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 boy. So parents thought Satiputta Bhante will not uh, ordain him now. Maybe he will wait for some time for uh, him to uh, uh, get some experience about the lay life, and then later he will convince him or maybe teach him some dhamma. So they were waiting for that, and then uh, one day the parents discuss about this matter. This is not a simple thing now. Our eldest son has done something very dangerous to our family. He's trying to destroy our family. He's trying to destroy our family lineage. In some Asian cultures, it's very important for you to maintain your lineage. I think most of the Sri Lankan, Indian, Chinese devotees understand what I'm talking about. Their parents want your son to maintain your lineage, your surname. So you have to inherit the surname. You have to inherit the family name. Inherited family properties and all. So it's very important for some of the uh, Asian... I think even in the West it was like that long time ago. So what happened? They decide, we must keep this boy as a layperson if you want to maintain our generation. Otherwise there will be no one to inherit our properties. Actually they had, according to 
Dhammapada Attakata, their wealth was more than 80 billion gold coins. Not dollars, gold coin. One gold coin was like uh, around, I don't know how, how many dollars, and thousands and thousands of dollars. So it was 80 billion gold coins of wealth. So they say that if, we, if the, if the Revata become a monk, there's no way that we can inherit this to someone. We just have to donate this to Lord Buddha or his monasteries. Maybe someone else will take it from us because our kids are already monks. So they came up with a plan. So you can decide what, what the plan would be. Best way to keep someone at home is to arrange marriage for them. There's no way out of that then. Easy. Easiest way. Those days, child marriage were a little bit allowable. They, they, like, they arrange marriage, but the, the kids don't live together. They, when they are seven years old, they, they, they engage them, and they are husband and wife, but they don't live together until a certain age. That was a tradition back then in India. So, so they thought, okay, the best thing is to find a wife for him, seven-year-old boy, poor guy, and then find a girl for him and arrange a marriage, and then he will feel the responsibility and after that, he will not become a monk. Plan work, in a way. So they talk about it to him. This seven-year-old boy, what he can understand. He, he is, of course, everyone is getting married. Why shouldn't I? And then they arrange a, a, a girl for him, a young woman, same age, uh, the kid. So they, uh, she was really beautiful, and he, he liked her. So they arranged the marriage and went through the process. This is 6th century BC again, no? not valid, and not, I'm not encouraging that in to these, these days. I'm just telling the story only. It's on record. So 6th century BC, Buddha's time. There's something happened in the history, it's available in the text. I'm not making up the story. So then he became, a, so he, he was okay with the proposal. So we, they went for the ceremony. And by this time, Sariputta Bhante knew Okay, my youngest brother also have the wisdom to reach the Arahantaship. My parents are forcefully, or they're tricking him to become a, 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 go for a marriage. They trick him to stay in the lay life. So one day he will see through this. One day he will develop that uh, wisdom and get away from that. Mm? Because still, uh, he's not going to live with this young uh, kid anymore. He's going to live in separately with his parents. Both of them are going to live with the parents. So still he has some time until he grew up. One day he might change his mind and come to a monastery. And then he advised all the monks. There were not much monasteries back then. He advised he spread the message through the, all the monks. In case if Revata uh, or this young boy came to a monastery and say that please ordain me don't hesitate. He's my brother. I have your consent. Ordain him. In those days, you need a consent from a family, either elder brother or parents. So he said, you already have the consent. You don't have to worry about anything. Just ordain him. In case if you come to the monastery. So, because there was a rule, uh, like you need consent of someone in your family for you to become a monk. You can't just come and become a monk. You need to get permission from your parents. If parents are uh, not there or they're not uh, believing in it, at least a, a senior member of your family, someone have to, a guardian have to uh, give that consent to you. So Sariputta Bhante was kind of guardian to him because he's like an eldest brother in the family. 
He said, you have the consent. So then the same year, this happened actually like a year before or something. So when the kid was around seven and eight years old, they arranged the marriage. So then in the marriage ceremony, uh, they did that traditional uh, marriage ceremony. In the ceremony, the relatives of the girl's side said, uh, this girl is going to live long. And this girl is very beautiful. She's going to live long. You, you two are going to have a wonderful, long life together. They said, oh, wow, wonderful. So why you say that she's going to live long? Oh, because of his generation. Her great-grandmother is also now around 120 years old. Her grandmother is also like around 100 years old or 90 years old. And her mother is also like this much old. And this and that, he explained, I think up to the great-grandmother or great-great-grandmother, something like that, they explained, this generation live long. She already have her grandmother, great-grandmother, and great-great-grandmother. So the generation is very strong. And even your side, you can see, your grand, uh, great great grandmother is there. Your grandmother is there. Your great grandmother is there. So your generation also have long life. So you both of you can have a long life. Hmm? Your kids will also have long life. And say, oh, okay. Does she gonna stay in in the same condition for that long? This is a seven year old boy asking the question. Was she, he was happy with the uh, happy with the appearance of the girl? Yes, that's nice. So does she gonna stay or does she gonna be the same person after one hundred twenty years? And uh, peop- the, the relatives have no answer. Mm-hmm. This is not like an age discrimination or anything, but of course there's a difference between a young person and a person who grew old. Mm-hmm. So then the kid look at the grandmother and say that, does she going to grow up to become a grandmother like that one day? They say, yes. Does that mean that all these people around me are going to grow up one day and become old? Yes. Does that mean doesn't mean that we all gonna be changed into some level and gonna be a little bit dif- different from now and gonna lose the interest? Yeah, possible. So why then we get married and why 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 all this hassle then? I say yeah, that that's how people that's what we do. That's the normal nature of the things and everyone does that. Ah, okay. So he was contemplating that. This young the same seven year old boy had no idea about it. He was just like thinking about okay, so this is the problem. So now they married. Ceremony was over. So in the ceremony, they both of them from the same village. So they had a ceremony in a different place. From that place to the village, she had to travel, be around 50 kilometers of travel. So they 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 bring the couple to a chariot, very well decorated chariot, and then couple was there. They are the the couple is seven year old kids. They have nothing to talk about, maybe about toys and everything, and. Then girl also didn't talk that much. So he was now contemplating. So the, they say that girl is going to live long. And now she's very beautiful. And her appearance is going to change. I like her now. What about when she changed the appearance? I may not, I may not like her. Hmm? What about me? I'm going to change. If, I'm, if I change, what about if she don't like me? Hmm? So she, he was thinking all these things and say, oh, maybe that's the reason my big brother decided to become a monk and um, stay away from all these problems. Hmm? So I should try that. So the seven-year-old boy decided to, in the, in the chariot, on the way to his house, the marriage enlightened him. I think most of us are enlightened by our marriage, but after a few years. 
too late after that. Now we have rules and regulations and signatures, documents, you can't get away. Those days, at least the kid had the privilege to marry, but it was not sealed marriage, just a functional wedding. That's it. That's just a function only. So the kid had the ability to escape from that. He had the second chance. What happened? The kid decided to get out from that. So he asked the he asked his uh, guard to stop the chariot. He said he wanted to go to um, toilet. Mm. So those days, there were no portable toilet. He had to go to the forest. So he stopped the chariot. And then he went to the toilet. He said, uh, it's okay. You don't have to wait for me. I'll, I'll catch another chariot from the... Because there's like a parade of them, a convoy. So I'll, I'll join the back of the convoy. You can go. The so back of the convoy didn't know why they stopped. He went to the forest. Convoy stopped moving. He didn't come back. He hid in the forest. Everyone went to Sariputtabante's house, their village, and the kid was in the forest. And he managed to find a forest monastery there. He walked through the forest. He knew the area because it's not that far from his house, around 50-kilometer radius. They knew the area. So the kid managed to went to a monastery and say, please ordain me. And the monks say, no, we can't ordain you. You're just a seven-year-old boy. Lord Buddha have given us clear advice. We need permission from your parents. And the, monk, uh, the kid said, oh, okay, so I think my parents won't allow, but my big brother will allow. You can ask him. Who is your big brother? Sariputtabante. You know? He took the business card out. And said, like, this is my big brother. So then, okay. Then we have clear instruction. Sariputtabante have given me the instruction to ordain you. So they ordained him. And send a message to Sariputtabante saying that we have ordained the monk. We have ordained your younger brother. And then Sariputtabante was happy about it because he had seen that parents would never allow him to go to uh, monkhood. And parents would never become monks or practice because they are, they are very strong in their belief. And they, they, had, they didn't have really good uh, uh, connection with Sariputtabante because of his decision. And they were a little bit angry about this. So there was no way out for the younger brother than becoming a monk and practice. So, so, so Bhante was happy about it. So he informed Lord Buddha and said, Dear Lord Buddha, can I get permission from you to go to visit my younger brother? And Lord Buddha said, let's wait for a while. Let's wait until the end of the vasa and then we go there. He said that because of a reason. Because Lord Buddha saw, if Sariputta Bhante go now and meet the brother, he might get excited by that. Because Sariputta Bhante is the most senior disciple back then. He is the chief disciple of Lord Buddha. This uh, young Samaner is only seven years old. Hmm? He might get spoiled by that. Hmm? So better he stay in the forest monk with the forest, uh, forest with the forest monks, and they don't give them give him that much of special treatment. He will learn Dhamma there. He will meditate there properly. He'll follow the schedule. So he will learn something. Hmm? So then we can go after rain retreat. So they spend rain retreat there in the Savatthi, in the main monastery. And during that time, this young boy was really talented. He managed to memorize the entire teachings of the senior monk. He managed to learn the entire meditation technique within a few months. And then he asked permission from the senior monks to go to forest and meditate alone. He went to a place called Khadiravana. Hmm? Spiky forest, which means in that forest, there's a specific trees have a lot of spikes. Hmm? So it's really a difficult place to live. You can't walk easily. Hmm? 
The trees are really harsh. Environment is harsh. But this young seven-year-old Samanera uh, meditator, the monk, decided to meditate there. Make a small kuti there, a small room there, and then he started practicing. Imagine a seven-year-old boy living in a forest and meditating alone. And also not, a, not like a beautiful forest. It's really a difficult and uh, forest with a lot of challenges. That's the name, the hard forest, Kadiravana. So then after three months, actually, he received, he reached the level of Nibbana, Arahanta. He became an Arahanta. And then that's the time Lord Buddha and Sariputta Bhante went into the monastery. Not only them, 500 monks followed that to see this miraculous seven-year-old Arahanta. He was meditating there. Then some monks start commenting about the monastery. Oh, this place is so hard. How, how, can you, how, how could you live there for long, such a long time? Spikes are everywhere. You can't even step. Uh, on these leaves easily mm? it's really difficult to walk in this forest uh, you need uh, proper sandals and proper foot wearings some of start complaining it. Mm? and then some monks say even though this place is like that this particular young monk have converted this place like to a heaven mm? from a hard forest to a heaven he converted that place so they both the, the two different groups of monks had two different ideas one day now the, 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 the story is over and then they went back and he reached the Arahanta ship. He also followed the uh, Sariputta Bhante and his team. And then later also start, he came back and uh, continued his meditation practices there and teaching there. Now he's an Arahanta, he can teach others. So one day, those two group of monks went to Vishaka's house. Vishaka is the chief devotee of Lord Buddha back then, female devotee. So she ask about this story. And she said that I heard Bhante Sariputta's youngest brother became a monk. How was the place? One monk said, oh, very difficult place. It's very difficult place. It's a lot of spikes everywhere. And then a lot of uh, difficulties in the forest. Not much water. It's a dry forest. And a lot of difficulties are there. And then other monks say, no, it's like a heaven. He have converted that place to a heaven. I don't see any difficulty there. I saw full energy. I saw wonderful forest there. So then Vishaka was a little bit uh, confused about it. He asked Lord, she asked Lord Buddha. So some, one monk said that the forest is difficult and it's dangerous and you know, it's a hard place to live. And one monk said it's very nice. Why is it that? Why they say such thing? Then Lord Buddha say, Game vaya divara ninne vaya divatale. Doesn't matter the place you live, doesn't matter where you live, it's how you live. The way you live, you can change that awful environment to a heaven. So if you have an awful meditation environment, your mind can change that awful environment to a heaven by changing the environment? No, by changing your mind. That's why Yatta Arahato Viharanti, where the Arahantas, where the people who uh, eradicate all the desire where they live is the most pure place so it doesn't matter how hard is the forest doesn't matter how hard is the, in, the environment if the internal environment is clean if the internal environment is ready you can meditate anywhere mm-hmm. so even you can go to the Flinders Street train station and meditate in front of that mm-hmm. doesn't matter how noisy it is how difficult it is 
is possible. So that's why that's the uh, introduction or the information about. But still, if someone were to develop, yes, the information that he provided in Satipatthana Sutta is 100% correct because that's for a beginner. If you want to develop, environment can help you. But if you start and keep on complaining about the environment, that won't help you because you should have the ability to change the environment into the way you want and practice as well. So this is something very interesting concept that I have learned. So I hope that you understood that. I'd like to share today's uh, meritorious deeds with all of you. I'd like to share these merits to all the monks in the world and all the deities and all the past relatives and all of you who joined today. And may all of you share these meritorious deeds. May all the living beings share these meritorious deeds. May all of them be happy, healthy, peaceful and content and reach the ultimate bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. So now is the Q&A time. We'll just be alternating between the um, online questions and uh, the floor. So the floor comes first. So anyone who wants to come up, you're welcome to come up to the microphone. Any online questions? Yeah, maybe I'll go to the online question first. Uh, so in this one... In the sutra after Venerable Sariputra's death, Lord Buddha said of him that he was patient like the earth. Bhante, please explain this patience and developing it. Thank you. I mean, uh, why, why, Lord Buddha, why Lord Buddha said that Sariputta Bhante was patient like earth, right? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Not only that, uh, there was while he was alive in the sutra, yes, after he passed away, also Lord Buddha said that. And when while Sariputta Bhante was alive, also he said the same thing because uh, there were few times uh, some monks uh, had uh, like because he was a leader, he was leading the society. Some of the monks were not happy of some of the things. It's not because that he had done something wrong. It's because simple reason. One time. He was advising monks after rain retreat, and monks were about to leave. And there was one monk who liked Sariputta Bhante so much, he thought that he would call his name and wish him goodbye. But there were like 500 monks there, you can't call each and everyone's name. So he mentioned few few names of the monks who were in the first row, and then he talked to them, just like in general. I think I know a few of them who, who, who are in, who in, in this audience, but I just call her name, just like that. Uh, he just mentioned few of their names, but that particular monk was very unhappy about what Sariputta Bhante have done. He said that he mentioned his name and this name and that name. He didn't mention my name. He was very angry about it. And then now he was angry and he was sitting next to the door, standing next to the door. And so he was sitting on the ground next to the door. And when Sariputta Bhante went out of the door, uh, he didn't know because we are wearing robes, robes can go here and there. The robes, corner of the robe hits his uh, cheek, actually, like this area. And then just like a softly, it hits and he went out. Just little touch. He said, Sariputta Bhante slapped me in the face. Mm -hmm. 
So he went to Lord Buddha and say, Dear Bhante, you said Sarpada Bhante is such a good place, but he slapped me in the face. He was not kind. He was very rude today. And he asked us to leave the monastery after rain retreat. He, he, in a way, he didn't lie, but he didn't tell the truth. Of course, that's, that's, the, that's the time the monks actually leaving the monastery. So Sariputta Bhante was advising them, okay, please hmm, go to a suitable place, meditate well and this and that. He just provide them good advice. Hmm. It's kind of a farewell for them. Hmm. So then also the time that he said, okay, now you can go. You can go to the forest and meditate. So he actually in a way he asked people to leave and meditate in the forest. Hmm. Also, he called some of the names. Also, his rob hit his cheek. Mm? Even though he didn't slap by the hand, in a way you can, you can uh, change that, you can manipulate the truth. So he did it. And then Lord Buddha said, no, it's not possible. Mm? No. Let's ask Sariputta Bhante to come here and explain about what happened. And he, he came and he explained about his, mm? he apologized. He said that if I have done any mistake, please, mm? I'm so sorry, but I didn't do anything like that. And then Lord Buddha explained, Sariputta Bhante is not like a normal person. He's like an earth. Like we put all the dirty things in the earth, but earth never complains. Hmm? We put everything in the earth, right? All, we, we pollute our environment, we destroy our environment, but trees and earth and environment, they never cry. Hmm? Sometimes when earth cannot tolerate that anymore, it reacts, but do not complain. Hmm? So, they said that Lord Sariputta Bhante was like earth, unshaken. Mm. He said that he's like a, a carpet. Mm. Everyone wiped their feet in the carpet, but carpet never complained. Carpet never said that, oh, you always you wipe your feet in me, you never wipe your face with me. Mm. Carpet never says that. Like that, Sariputta Bhante is like that. He never complained. So it's his humbleness. Mm. It's his patience, it's his quality. So Lord Buddha explained about his quality. That's why he gave the example of earth. Like Just like earth is never shaken. Earth is unshaken. Doesn't matter what you do, earth will not shake just because of that. Of course, earth will shake if you extract more oil and everything out of that. That's a different thing, but just the simple things. If you put anything, if you put any, uh, uh, like, you know, uh, sometimes we, we throw all the dirty things to the forest, uh, to, the, to the earth, we just dispose them, but earth never complain. Earth never say that, oh, you dispose each and every, this and this and these things to me and all. Uh, so he was more patient. Uh, he tolerates, he's unshaken. So to explain how stable he is, he explained the word. He used the word Sariputta is like an earth. He tolerates everything. Ajahn, the question um, was, uh, was how, how to practice that, how to develop that patience. Oh, uh, that is not that easy because of the anger-based mental factors in our mind. But Again, as I say, it's possible, doable. Easiest way to practice patience, to be patient, is to practice loving kindness. Loving kindness meditation can settle your anger down. So if you're not angry, you can tolerate more of the things. So the best way to start practicing such a stable level of patience, such a stable level of tolerance, is to practice loving kindness. And also, practice the meditation of impermanence. So you understand things are impermanence. And can practice vipassana meditation, can understand these, these conditions that we hear, the words we hear, sounds we hear, things we see, they are impermanent. So there's nothing we should 
worry about. There's nothing should we should uh, like uh, consider about. We can just let things go easily. So that's that's how it should be. So uh, to learn to let things go by practicing loving kindness and compassion, these type of meditation techniques can help you to go there. And also, I personally experience by reading and learning more and more Dhamma, you can change your character. If you learn more Dhamma, if you read more Dhamma, if you try to understand the knowledge or the teachings of Lord Buddha, then slowly you will change. You'll, you will try to change your mind and start thinking like a person who practiced the pathway. Then in a way you, 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 you change your mind, you brainwash yourself to a better way. So it's actually, that's the, I, I like to use the word brainwash in this manner because other things, if you put all the bad things into your mind and changing a person is dirtying your brain, littering your brain. Real brainwash is this. You remove all the unnecessary things from your mind. So slowly, more you read, more you understand, more you associate, then slowly you will uh, change to a, a humble character. I have, I have seen that happen uh, with a lot of monks and a lot of meditators when they practice. They start letting things go. Sometimes I try their patience by saying things, and some of my devotees know what I'm doing with them. Sometimes I try their patience. I see whether they have enough tolerance to tolerate these uh, unwholesome mental factors. So slowly, slowly you can... Uh, develop your meditation up to a good level by reading, also by understanding, uh, mainly by practicing loving kindness and compassion. Are there any yeah. any questions on the floor? There is. Now, you talk about uh, the reading books, and we listen to discourses. And there's meditation. Out of the, these three, which is more important? Do we spend more time on meditation, listen to uh, read books, or listen to discourses? Mm. Most important would be meditation because uh, discourses will provide us more information. Application is more important. So, like as an example, if you learn, like just now we learn about Satipatthana Sutta and uh, the environment. Mm. In internal environment and mental conditions. So, so now we know this. It'll take for us to practice and apply this mm, month or two. Mm. Slowly, slowly, slowly you have to work on it and then you have to find a proper place, you have to meditate and then you have to find a proper posture. It'll be painful if you're in the, in the beginning and slowly you'll develop, mm, you will have, you'll develop back pain, you may have to talk to other monks and find a place, uh, find a posture that how to meditate properly. You will find some difficulty when you breathe in and out in the breathing meditation. So a lot of things will be there. So you can fix those things that you, if you meditate. So knowledge is important for you to change your mind and understand things better. But deepest understanding and most and important and most effective way to convince yourself would be meditation. The knowledge and understanding that, that you develop through meditation would be much more strong and then stable as well. Learn things that you have learned from books, you may forget, but the practice that you develop by meditation, you will not forget. You, it, the practice will be there with you always. So that's the most important. Let me know when the time is, uh, right? it's 10.45. Can go more? Okay. Any other question? Online? Finish. All right, sorry. Ah. Sorry. Uh, it 
it's a big thank you for Bhante Pasadika today because he's he's visited us three times during the Vasa for the three Vasa months, and I'm sure everyone has enjoyed the teachings that he's offered to us over these three months. And we hope to see Bhante in the near future too. Again, visiting the BSV for teachings, and maybe we all sadhu for Bhante. And uh, also, please, if you can stay in your seats till Bhante goes out of the room, back to Pandura for to be on time for his lunch dana. Thank you, thank you, Bhante.